Today, we're going to read two emails from Reed College, where I'm going now and where Henry graduated from last year. And yeah, these,、uh, I think the way、uh, we saw these emails, well, Henry saw an email that he got from them and then sent it to me, and then I had just seen <laughs> a similar email on Reddit. Actually, where someone posted、uh, an email that Reed had sent to international applicants.、Um, and I, yeah, I thought these emails were pretty interesting. So I'll read the one that an international student got. And this international student posted the email to Reed. Yeah. And as,、uh, you're, listening, and as you're listening, try to think of what is this email about? What is the message it's trying to get across? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The email says Dear X, the student's name, Reed College embodies the qualities that fill the highest standards of intellectual excellence dedication to the liberal arts and sciences, intellectual curiosity, creativity, rigorous scholarship, and strong commitments to diversity, inclusion, and engaged participation in study. And then With bold letters, as a vibrant scholarly community that produces strong leaders and creates new knowledge, we are deeply concerned by the issues facing international students and scholars traveling to the United States. Reed believes that the dialogue between people with different perspectives, values, and backgrounds enhances the possibilities for serious intellectual inquiry. And then, not bolded, our campus represents more than 29 countries and just as many a multitude of viewpoints. We are eager to work with all students as they consider Reed for their intellectual development and look forward to reviewing your application for admission. And then the Reddit poster says, I don't get it. Hey, I am an international <laughs> student and just received an email from Reed College saying the email. And then at the end, this might sound stupid, but IDK, but I don't know. What does this mean? Do they want me to request an interview or something? <laughs> That's the whole Reddit post. <laughs> It's great because it seems like this is sent with the presumption that like, it has some content that you're supposed to do something with. <laughs> But they're just like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to think in response to this. <laughs> no, it's like. It's, that's a good presumption, you know, that it would expect you to do something. It's like, why else do you send an email? Like, <laughs> you know, when you receive an email or you send an email, it's supposed to do something like con- communicate an idea, or if it's from like the college you're applying to,、uh, yeah, I mean, it should like tell you what to do or what to expect when you're applying, something like that. So. Yeah, this person yeah. was. <laughs> I just, and I thought it was very, their confusion was very well phrased. Like, <laughs> this might sound stupid, but I don't know. What does this mean? Do they want me to request an interview or something?、It's, yeah, very totally 
naive. It's like an innocent question that sounds like they're they're genuinely confused. Right. But of course, like when you and I see this email, we're not confused at all. Like there's zero <laughs> confusion. It's just like, oh, okay, what another one of these? Yeah, we know how to speak the speak. <laughs> I think it's great that there is no indication of like what the purpose of this email is or who like what is the context of why it would be sent to someone until the very last sentence when it's like acknowledges that you applied to read college (laughs) (laughs) but other than that like you could have just sent this to anyone it i i i don't know if the last paragraph helps that much that's just like We are eager to work with all students as they consider read for their intellectual development and look forward to reviewing your application for admission. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. this is not unique. This is like what every read email looks like, basically. So what was like the... Was there even like an exact event that this was in response to? Or did they just sit down one day and they're like, we need to send this email <laughs> to all of our international applicants? Well, they were it's just also... embodying the qualities that fulfilled the highest standards of intellectual elegance, <laughs> excellence, dedication to the liberal arts and sciences, intellectual curiosity, and sending emails to international students when, you know, when you, you have the urge. Mm-hmm. And like, this is all of their marketing material anyways, like up to this point, like even before you apply, if you go on the website or uh, if you get uh, material from Reed or just like generic emails from Reed. But yeah, this, this like, and I think maybe it was confusing because it's like specifically addressed to a individual in a way, like it as like an applicant and then it has your name at the beginning. That's like, it's not just like a mass email that you sign up that you get if you sign up for a list. You would think. <laughs> yeah. What? So, yeah, I don't know. I. Th- it might have been like after. My guess is that it was after something like, uh, I don't like a shooting or something <laughs> like, I, I don't know, but. Well, you you looked at this post, right? When did you look at it? I think it was in the last week. And on the post, it says that it was posted within the last hour. I would assume that they didn't like sit on this email for months, so it must have been within the last couple of days, at least. Yeah, I, I guess just the Trump stuff in general. I don't, I don't know. Uh. Yeah, the bold is like the bold is good too. Like <laughs> it's yeah, it doesn't do anything, but yeah, usually in an email you bold like the date that something is due or like something that is a requirement to respond with or something like that. But in this one the bold is like half the email <laughs> and also <laughs> says nothing specific at all it just like copy and paste something from their website yeah it's it's just like the same substance list uh content as the rest of the email 
Uh, and so I, I also think that, it. Oh, yeah. I also think it's just a lie, uh, like the the actual content. Um, hmm. Although there's you know there's almost no content, but I think if there is content, it's the idea that they welcome international students, uh, at least as much as like domestic students, and they hmm. actually value like the different pr- perspectives that people from different countries come from but like financial aid for international students is like much worse than it is for domestic students and that's not true of uh some other schools that have endowments the size of reeds so it's like you know it's a conscious decision that reed made to prioritize uh financial aid money for domestic students um so I, think, I wasn't aware of that detail. Yeah. So and yeah, so a lot of international students are pretty wary. And what ends up happening is it's not a it's not it doesn't seem like an issue at Reed because basically just we just get rich international students. But which like everybody at Reed knows that, you know, like the international right. students tend to be even wealthier than domestic students. But a large part of that is just because we don't value Poor international students. <laughs> I mean, that's what the CMO should really say. If you have a lot of money, we would love to have you at Reed. Uh, even if the vast majority of our international students come from a single country uh, from China. Hmm. Yeah, that that is a good point. I guess that people might assume that there's good reasons for international students to be more wealthy because it is more expensive in general to send your kid overseas to go to school. So you might expect that to be overrepresented among wealthier people, but there's this additional reason, which is that if you are, have less money then you seem to be <laughs> less preferred by Reed because they give you less financial aid. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's not really, I don't think it's any more expensive to send people, uh, abroad um hmm. for education well i guess from reed's perspective there isn't much of a difference um between uh, an international student and a domestic student because you know tuition and i mean cost of attendance is like seventy thousand a year and then the only thing that an international student would defer on is like the flight would cost like i don't know five hundred dollars more or five hundred to yeah something like that more but uh you know most of the money is like tuition so that doesn't that's like the same for everyone yeah i guess that seems right maybe what i'm thinking more of is like as opposed to going to school somewhere that you can uh commute to or something like that yeah well but that's not necessarily a distinction between international and national it's the difference between how you get to the school and whether you have to like live in an apartment or something Mm -hmm. yeah for oh and also read like heavily restricts um admission to international students that get that need aid and so you know it's a need aware process and it's the same like for domestic students as well uh read uh, it's much easier to get in um, 
without financial aid, but it's even more so for uh, international students. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's just it's pretty hard to get into read as a poor international student. But yeah, I'm. Yeah, I I didn't I didn't even think of that when I was reading the email, but that it just I think maybe just knowing about stuff like that makes me just more cynical about this kind of email where it's like it costs nothing to write this email like it costs you know 10 minutes of your time or whatever but there's you're not making any real commitments you and then but you get to think of yourself as like welcoming to international students but then i i think in in every case where or, I mean, in in the cases where it really matters, uh, read just does the opposite of what they pretend to do. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So then, like a financial commitment like... without the email means a lot more than you know, an email without a financial commitment. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, and maybe it's that. Like they could have just sent. The last paragraph, right? We are eager to work with all students as they consider to read for their intellectual <laughs> development and look forward to reviewing your application for admission. Like, that would be a perfectly fine email, right? They acknowledge that you applied. <laughs> but because they included all these other things that are targeted at specifically uh, international students, it makes it seem like um, they're trying to use this in place of doing something else, like a financial commitment. Because yeah. somehow they felt like this was necessary or that this was going to be a positive. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make any r- real commitment to anything. If I received this email, I think I would have thought that maybe I did something that they sent this email <laughs> in particular to me. Like that I... They thought that I... uh said i don't care about diversity or something <laughs> like but I, I don't know yeah i don't know how i would have perceived this nonsensical email at the time huh that, that would be a funny response <laughs> but it's not that they're saying they care about it they're just reminding you that you should care about it <laughs> <laughs> it's also like it's so my myopic i think to send this email like you know, in the context of Reed, when you send this email out, nobody is confused. It's just like, you know, half of Reed is like, oh, great. And then the other half ignores it. And then and then we think it's pretty funny. But like they're sending this out to people, you know, they say like 29 countries are represented at Reed. So maybe there's applicants from a bunch of countries and they're sending this out. It's like, they don't have the awareness that other countries don't have this exact, you know, bizarre political and cultural context that Reed is in. Not even all of America has that context, but definitely the rest <laughs> of the world doesn't have that context. So it's like, how are you supposed to interpret this basically like upper middle class liberal of, uh, I, I don't know poetry or whatever it is it's like yeah yeah it's like they don't they there's no reason that they would be used to receiving this kind of email so i think it's i don't i don't like that they just send it out without explaining what it is 
Yeah, there isn't really an attempt to explain it in this email, which, I mean, I might not necessarily expect in just a short email like this. But I think that that is an interesting question. Of well, they, they could have just put in a sentence that was just like, this is just an expression of our beliefs. Like, that would have been <laughs> enough. Yeah, the following doesn't necessarily have any actionable content. But it's very important. Yeah, we're, we're not actually saying anything. Just, we're just, <laughs> this is our opinion. Yeah. But, but I could also yeah, easily see. I, it just it trivializes what they do, so they didn't want to write that. That is a good point about how um, someone, like, who, who gets this email? Probably the applicant and their parents, right? So I could see some international students' parents being like, this is just upper-class intellectual American language or something. It, they don't necessarily think it has any meaning, but it just exudes being a high-class school or something like that. Or, but even that is like kind of an awareness of Amer- of like the American cultural context. You know, I think it would be more confusing to someone who doesn't even have that. Or I, I guess, which is this Reddit poster. Where it's like, right? <laughs> maybe they are trying to say something, but I don't know. Yeah, I think people in Japan would pretty much be confused. Like, yeah, I don't know because uh, and there's like countries that aren't you know so obsessed with diversity. Like, it's not as much of a topic and stuff like that. Yeah, I would be curious to see uh, what different international students from these 29 different countries uh, thought of this email like did they guess what the point of it was or did they just sort of ignore it and say okay i read the last sentence and that was the important part or do they misinterpret what the um the the body of the message says to being something that actually has content or (laughs) are they aware of american uh high middle class <laughs> type, uh, language like this that sort of fits into a cultural context and is known to just be like a nice nice thing to say it doesn't mean anything in particular yeah yeah i think just because it's rated most people probably have some awareness and that's why they want to go to read i wouldn't be surprised if this <laughs> drives away students that aren't like that <laughs> Yeah, I always wonder, like, these Chinese students that come over, what did they hear about Reed when they're in China? Like, are they surprised when they get here? Or what is the deal with that? Yeah, I think, yeah. Because culturally, it's, it's just so far removed from anything I'd imagine being in China. Yeah. I, I think Reed just markets itself as, like, an elite liberal arts college to Chinese students. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, so read. that was kind of my guess, is that they read this as just, like, the emblem of being a, a elite liberal arts college. It's just this sort of language. It doesn't mean anything. And it uh, doesn't fit into any context. It's just, like, you know, uh, nice-sounding words to embroider your email. Because mm-hmm. it's not just read that does this, of course. It, it's become a, uh, <laughs> a style... <laughs> Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I think Reed is particularly bad, but yeah, it's other liberal arts colleges definitely do it, you know. 
And, so, and some are worse it, than Reed. Yeah, that's true. I, I think that part of it is that this sort of email is not so unique in kind. Like plenty of universities say, we care about diversity, right? It's not a very niche thing at this point. But I think that it's the fact that Reed goes so above and beyond writing out this eloquent, like to way more than the actual content, which is just the last sentence that has to uh, prelude everything and do it in every single email. And then, you know, have whole, like I have another email that I'll read in a few minutes that is just totally about this. I think that going above and beyond in the scale of it is what makes Reed more unique about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 such a weird email. Yeah, like the first paragraph, it's like it just doesn't. There's no yeah. It's weird reading it. There's nothing to it. And then <laughs> the middle paragraph is like kind of the main point. There's the point. It'd be funny yeah. if you used this or and like switched out a few words for like I and my. And then put that in your statement of purpose or something. <laughs> <laughs> I embody the qualities that fulfill the highest standards of intellectual ex- <laughs> dedication to the arts and sciences, intellectual curiosity, creativity, etc. It yeah, it kind of sounds like that's what people do for their college essays, maybe. <laughs> oh man, and it is kind. It is basically the same people that reads those uh college admission essays it's like staff in the admissions office uh yeah it's not like professors so when you applied to read and you got these emails what what did you think then uh because you must have gotten at least something similar yeah, although not this one because this one's to international students. Right, right. Uh I don't I don't think there was an email this bad, honestly. I I think <laughs> I think it was just yeah, I kind of ignored most of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I but yeah, I mean I, I knew exactly what I I didn't know exactly what I was getting into, but I, I knew that Reed was liberal and all Stuff like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I guess the purpose of the email, the actual purpose is something like... Uh, the email writer feels like they are doing something good for society and responding to political events. And they also get to signal that to other people. Should we move on to your email? Sure. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good summary. <laughs> um, so, previous to you sending this to me, I had sent you an excerpt from an email I'd just gotten that day, uh, sent to the Alumni Programs and Annual Fund. And I just, like, they send this sort of thing pretty often. I don't read it that often but i just was glancing at this one briefly and a few things caught me off guard i was like whoa this is much more than i (laughs) typically see 
So it starts off like this. Um, the Diversity and Inclusion Committee has prioritized creating alumni spaces that both recognize past harm and encourage healing and uplift. To that end, the committee invites the Reed community to join them for this moderated discussion with alumni of color about the racism they endured while they were students, their contemporaneous triumphs, and the ways in which they reconciled the tensions therein in their roles as alumni volunteers. And goes on like this for a bit. And then finally, relatedly, the committee recently formed three identity-based alumni affinity networks, the Alumni of Color Network, the First Gen Alumni Network, and the LGBTQIA2S Plus Alumni Network. You can read more about them and register your interest here. We are grateful to the Diversity and Inclusion Committee for their vital leadership in building these points of connection, etc., etc. Yeah, so it was just like... <laughs> the names of people all the talk about are... <laughs> so yeah. or Or they're, they're like... Yeah, either Marxist or from 1984. <laughs> yes, the the Truth and Justice Commission. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it just it caught me off guard by I, I've been aware of obviously the sort of obsession with race on at Reed and in their public sympathies, but this one just kind of went so over the top. Like, how could they? focus so um, particularly on this alumni based affinity networks what is that affinity network <laughs> and, oh, this is so silly what the hell? <laughs> and then there's this uh alumni network the lgbtqia2 plus or 2s plus <laughs> and i didn't even know what that like what i used to know lgbt right and then since then, there's been one, two, three, four, five new letters and or numbers. <laughs> and this is, yeah. yeah. This is also very American. It's like other countries, it's like, wait, what is an alumni affinity network? Like, what's <laughs> yeah. the point of that? Like, oh, you, oh, you just like identify with people that you went to school with, I guess. But then, yeah, then there's just like, levels to that i guess yeah i can so to put this in a bit of context i think that the first part which was about hearing people talk about their experience with racism on campus that part like in abstract okay i guess that would be a pretty fine thing to have but <clears throat> they say it as if there's like this huge group of people that experienced racism they endured racism and then triumphed over it. It's like all this, uh, what do you call it? Flowery language, trying to make everything seem super exciting and amazing and fighting the evils of racism when Reed is probably against the people that they're talking about, the least racist place in the entire country. <laughs> I, I, I don't know about that, actually. but Oh, really? Uh... Yeah, I think it's just like the same as other places, but I just don't, I don't get why this is like an alumni thing. Like, I, I don't know. I don't really have an objection to them doing it, but I'm I'm a little confused, I guess. Like, why would you, like, why? But 
remember the last sentence of the email was like register today for the read race and reconciliation summit <laughs> read race right. and reconciliation summit wow but like why would you go to that like who who cares about like the en- entire rest of the class that you graduate with that like you never talked with because you talk with your friends like that's who you w- went through college with uh, yeah yeah and that it wouldn't even bring the rest of your class up. it's just like all of the alumni involved so it's like people that weren't even at read at the same time as you <laughs> mostly yeah i guess that it does seem that reed tries hard to keep its alumni connected right by i guess yeah and i guess uh complaining about racism together is a great way to do that yeah, they need to find something that people want to talk about. <laughs> but I, in addition, I think that the thing that really just stood up, I, I particularly sent this acronym part to you because I thought it was funny that there was this new couple things, including a number, which seemed just it, outlandish we, to me. We went through like all the read emails. There's like, there's so many variations on that. Yeah, but this was new <laughs> to me too. LGBTQIA2S bus. Um, Yeah, I looked it up later, and 2S bus is two spirit spirit is the 2S part, I guess. Yeah. And then it's (laughs) queer, queer, uh, wait, what's the I? Do you know? Um, Intersex? Oh, all right. Um, Is that a sexuality? Wait, it oh yeah, that's weird. Intersex is Well I guess trans is on there, so Yeah. S- sexualities or and or sexes. Yeah, but but intersex is like yeah, it's it's also a little different, I feel because it's isn't it like a biological category? Uh and not like an yes. identity that you create for yourself. But uh yeah, I mean, of course, they would argue also that trans is not an identity that you gain for yourself. It's it's a biological thing. Uh, I I don't know. Do people argue for that now? Uh, oh, isn't that like, the thing? Like, I was born a whatever, but I was assigned this at birth. But there's also people that think that gender is just a social construct and. If you like, you can be trans by like saying that you're, uh, like non-binary. Oh, that's right. I guess that's what the plus is for. Is for anything else. <laughs> but I think that's they say they're trans as well. But hmm, yeah, I guess that is interesting. Maybe they're yeah, trying well, to put um, uh intersex in that sort of category as well. Hmm. I I have no idea. But yeah. yeah, and then A is what? Asexual? Asexual, I think so, yeah. And then two-spirit yeah. gets two letters yeah. and numbers. That's a, apparently a Na- Native American genderless something. <laughs> spirit or something. I, I, I don't know who. Uh, yeah, interesting. Oh yeah, I wonder how that one in particular made it in. Like, there's so many, you know, different things that could have made it in. 
I think you might be a little for far away from the microphone. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so yeah, it was funny to see that the acronym just keeps growing beyond what you could have ever imagined. It's uh I guess more than twice the length of LGBT, which was I think the most popular origination of it. Anyway, um I wonder if it if it applies to anyone at Reed. Or like how many it? people if it does, yeah. Uh, I mean, you'd have to be Native American, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, that would <laughs> because be otherwise it's gender appropriation. It's, uh, yeah, 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 appropriation. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, yeah, I mean, I there were not many Native American students, so could right. be that many, <laughs> even if all of them were two-spirit. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting if every single Native American was two-spirit. I guess yeah, really is it even, repre- is it yeah <laughs> representing their uh diversity there yeah assuming this is like i get, yeah something that people can be i, I don't yeah i don't even know how, I don't know how it <laughs> works <laughs> you can only be two spirit after you die or something <laughs> is that what you're thinking <laughs> or it's like it's like literally a spirit or m- maybe it's oh. like a thing a thing in the context of a tribe or whatever uh yeah i don't mm. know. yeah i guess it's like we don't have shaman at reed because <laughs> shaman <laughs> it's like something you are within a group uh i wouldn't be surprised yeah. if there are a few shamans at reed <laughs> i guess there's definitely people that think they're shamans, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't. I think I don't think there's. I think sh- shaman is seems like something that, that you need the context to be. Hmm. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I mean, it sounds plausible. I don't really know what qualifies you as a shaman, to be honest. I think a shaman is like a spiritual type of spiritual leader. And yeah, you have to lead people to be it. Hmm. Okay. So you'd have to actually have a a, a following. I feel like it. Yeah. I think it comes. Yeah. It comes from like, yeah, like real religious groups of the ancient past. Uh, People like Eliada studied and then they identified like, this shaman character and then yeah i guess now people can kind of think of themselves as analogous to that maybe it's like a a a version an earlier version of priest kind of yeah yeah exactly you wouldn't be able to like just declare yourself a priest yeah i feel i feel like yeah there weren't really priests or shaman in isolation just like there aren't like, you know, community elders without a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. When I hear two spirit, it almost makes me think of like, what is it? Soul mates. That's like another similar word where mm-hmm. you, you have a connection to another person. But this one seems to imply that it's an, it's an identity of a single person. Yeah, sounds like it. 
Or maybe it's like a gender that is spread across two people. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder. But uh, yeah, so this is the name of an alumni network. And that was what was kind of funny to me, is that they were making these alumni networks that were so particular to your identity. Uh, Those yeah, sorts of things would be funny like too. clubs. They, they'd mm. be something that you join voluntarily that's like a friend thing, and then you get together with them at some point. But they're making it so official. Like it's <laughs> This is the, the official read LGBTQIA2S plus network. Yeah. That's yeah, it's kind of funny. It's does... like you. It's like graduating college. Like there's this one thing that you have in common, you know, with everyone else that you graduated with. Like that you went through a similar experience, and you have this same thing on your resume. And it's like you know, kind of a nice thing of solidarity. But then, like once you get into that network at all, you're like <laughs> immediately you're like part of a, a splinter group. So right. you're not, you know, part of the alumni network uh, exclusively. You're, you're also uh, in these smaller networks. And also, yeah. like, I'm, I, like, when I graduate, well, I'm a student of color and I, I'll be an alumni color, but there's, like, nowhere at Reed where I am less welcome than the, the <laughs> students of color group. And I've, I've actually, like, I think it's interesting and, like, I like free food and free events. <laughs> And I, I, I'm mostly just curious. So, and sometimes I'll, you know, I'll, I'll drag a friend along too, or they'll be curious too. But yeah, like I know from a lot of experience, I also worked for, uh, yeah, one of these peer mentor programs. So one of these programs for students of color, hmm. uh, which, yeah, I only got in, I, I only got chosen because, uh, I guess the um, like an adult chose me. Like it wasn't like a community. The community accepted me because, th yeah, there's nowhere where I'm less accepted <laughs> than anything that has the word, <laughs> you know, students of color or alumni of color. Huh. That, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. So it's not really it's not really alumni of color. It's like alumni of color that are, you know have certain beliefs and don't like certain types of people. <laughs> yes. So uh, it's kind of funny though that you say it's like the splinter group. What percentage of Reed students do you think would fall under LGBTQIA2S plus? Oh, like half of them. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. many. But yeah, uh, unlike yeah, a lot of other schools, that's actually that's that's massive. I mean, the queer thing is like that's like, I don't, that alone could be like half read. Well, I don't know. People just say they're queer. I don't think I've heard the definition of queer. Oh, I, I mean, the definition is. Uh, <laughs> screw you! It's just. <laughs> I thought it just meant uh, like non-gender conforming. Yeah, so basically, it, it, just anything. If you think you're not, <laughs> yeah. If you don't think you 
you totally conform in any way. So uh, yeah, which is like all humans, but if you think, yeah, if you want to identify square, it's, it's inclusive. If you're a male and you don't like blue, or if you're a female mm-hmm. and you don't like pink, then you're queer. Yeah, it's, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if people, yeah, if it's real nice, realize that all humans are, <laughs> uh, you're not that, yeah, that special if you don't conform in every single way to gender stereotypes. Yeah. And this obviously goes into a different discussion, but I think this is an interesting topic because by saying that if you don't follow gender stereotypes, then you're queer, then what you're saying is that to be male or female is to follow gender stereotypes. Yeah, yeah, there's that too. We're kind of pulling a lot out of just this one letter, but yeah, obviously we would need to reference other people talking about what queer means. But yes, I'm yeah. sure that you could find a plenty of them in this alumni group. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a rigid, maybe a kind of a rigid worldview to think of the world as like male, female, and queer. As opposed to like, you know, people are just uh, how they are. But yeah, the idea of queer, yeah, it only makes sense if if your view of the world is that there's these two basic categories. Right, yeah, exactly. You need to say that if you're not in these two categories, then you're something else. You're queer. You're, I guess, not necessarily in the middle, but you're you're outside of the categories you're non-gender conforming because to be a gender means to conform to stereotypes (laughs) Mm -hmm. okay i think so yes should should we move on (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah so Uh, we've had our nice rant here yeah read finally i'm sure you're excited to to return about Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, Uh, we're going to talk about prediction next. Yes, our next topic. So I had this idea, and I'll just explain it quickly, and then you can mention this project, the Good Judgment Project that relates to it. So I had this idea a while ago. It's it's not like a brand new idea, but... um, what it is is that what if you could have this app on your phone that whenever you came up with a, not necessarily a prediction, but an opinion where you say, I think that it's X percent chance that this is true, or I think this is true with X percent confidence, then you put it down in this app as a note. And then the next time that you observe something, or you come up with another opinion that uh, influences your previous judgment, then you could also put it in the app. For example, here would just be a very uh, concrete thing. Um, I am walking down the street, and I wonder to myself, what are the chances that my house is on fire right now? 
and you put it down, maybe it's like 1% chance. And then you keep walking and you see smoke over the horizon near where your house is. And you think, okay, uh, given that I've seen the smoke, what do you <laughs> think the chances are that my house is on fire? But that's a calculation that uses Bayes' theorem. And it would take a bit of time to calculate that, especially if there was a lot of different factors that were influencing that opinion. So what you would do is you would just put in your um, your app the chances that there's a fire and the chances that uh, there's the house is on fire given that there's a fire. And with those two pieces of information, then the app can just compute what the posteriori probability is that your house is on fire. And you can do this with all of your opinions whenever you come up with them and whenever you see new evidence that influences what your opinion should be. And in this way, you could be a more perfect Bayesian reasoner. And I thought this was kind of a, it's a neat idea, and it seems like it has a concrete implementation. Like Bayesian networks for doing these computations are very well understood. But all it would need is a nice little UI for people to actually be able to use it with. The biggest hurdle is, would this actually be a useful tool at all? Like, would anyone actually want to use this? <laughs> and that's my, that's my prompt. Is, would this be an actually useful thing? Oh, yeah. May, I think I don't yeah, get how it would work exactly. But um, yeah, because... <laughs> Uh, your example, I think, is not, you know, that's not a practical use of it. Right, or, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Here's a, I can give a better example then. First, like, when I came up with this idea of what I was thinking of. It's like, um, imagine you're browsing the internet, and you have a hypothesis. You think that, um, let's see, I, I don't want to use a, should I use a current event? <laughs> here's Here's just... A very easy one, because I can't think of anything else. Did Trump incite the violence at the Capitol earlier this uh, last week? So here's your hypothesis, and you have a, a a priori opinion on whether that's true or not. And then as you browse the internet for resources, you uh, will account for those resources, this new evidence, by putting them into your app, along with <clears throat> their, the conditional probability that Trump did incite the violence, given whatever you viewed, uh, and then also how much confidence you have in that resource. And then you can have this be sort of a tree, right, where then you find more resources that either confirm or deny the resources that you found supporting the first thing. So you can go through all this, and it's a lot of uh, numbers to keep track of in your head, so it's much more reasonable to be rational about it if you record it into this network and then you just have it compute the result based on base theorem. Okay, yeah. I mean, maybe it would be interesting depending on the implementation. I, I think it would be hard because when you, like, look at news, like, you probably look at, like, too much information and it's too qualitative and your level of self-knowledge about your epistemology is too low to really, I think, and put in reasonable numbers. But um, maybe may you could have like an approximation for like everything that you've seen, and then 
uh, input how much that affects your judgment. But yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know how much it would add to uh, like how you would reason otherwise, but it could be interesting depending on how it's implemented. Do you think that if it was implemented in an easy to use way, like would you use it at all? Uh, I don't. I don't get the part about like you inputting in the information that you saw. How would that work? Right. Yeah, I think this is probably this is what you're saying that um, the sort of like confidence that you have in something, which is one of the numbers you'd have to input, uh, that's a judgment call. And it's not really like you're, you're measuring something. It's more just like you introspect for a second and you think, how confident am I in this article? And then you write that down. Yeah. And in theory, like you were doing that anyway, (laughs) whether you write it down or not, but writing it down makes you aware of it and keeps track of it over time so that if you see something in the future that changes your mind, then you account for that proportional to your previous confidence. I think this would be interesting if you just if you did this personally and just wrote down how you reason, like even in just like a Word document. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least, yeah, initially, because I don't even see that being done often. Right, yeah. That you could do like this without an FD app. <laughs> it's definitely possible to do this without an FD app, and you're right that this doesn't seem to be a very common strategy. Well, at, at least, least as far as yeah, I know. if you're doing it initially, it, it would be more flexible that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think yeah, may, I don't know. Maybe we have different feelings. Or intuitions about how reasoning works as well. <laughs> I don't know. When you do I say that this isn't yeah. a common strategy, I think though that it is used in research. So it's not used in uh informal setting. Like if you just have like a random question and you do like ten minutes of Googling to figure out what the answer is, uh you don't record that whole process and do some analysis of the resulting network to see what your opinion should be you just sort of go through and you see some sources and then you make a judgment call at the end but if you're doing research you're over a prolonged period gathering resources and how to figure out how they relate to each other so in that way you basically are building up a sort of network it may not be exactly a bayesian network but uh you'll connect things based on their relevance and then you'll judge something as more credible or influential to your judgment if uh, it has more credible sources that connect to it. Yeah, and yeah, and it's like an intuitive process, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I guess yeah. Yeah, and then you can write it down and have an approximation of of your reasoning process on paper. Yeah, I think that maybe the interesting thing to see would be how does this change at all what your uh, resolutions are? Like, does the network just end up reflecting your intuition uh, that you started with, uh, but it's just writing everything down verbosely? Or do you look at it at the end and you're like, wow, actually, 
now that I look at this, um, it convinces me in hindsight that I was weighing this incorrectly, even though at the time it had seemed that way. So I wrote it down. Yeah, I, th I think the self-reflection part is definitely interesting. And like that's why I I don't do it often, but I'll try to write uh you know my reasoning down at different points and then I can go back to them and reference them. Mm. And oh, hopefully yeah, yeah. I put down enough information that yeah, I could get that kind of uh, uh reasoning from it like i could maybe see what my patient probabilities were like at the time uh-huh how you changed your mind and why yeah but yeah i feel i feel like yeah it's just maybe it's like a balance between using <laughs> your uh framework too much and then use relying on your like intuition too much but i think it's definitely mm -hmm. easy to get confused by this structure that you set up about how to reason and sometimes uh, like a common sense you know <laughs> check uh works better than uh like a formal framework mm-hmm yeah, that's fair. It may maybe the if this actually was implemented, the actual benefit would not be so much from the advanced computation it's doing, but from the just getting you to reflect on your total reasoning. Yeah. Yeah. The, so yeah, you had mentioned that I'd mentioned the Good Judgment Project, which has so the Good Judgment Project is like. A project that some researchers set up, uh, and it lets people make. There's like questions on the website, and people are able to make predictions uh, about those questions. And you put your prediction on on a confidence interval from zero to hundred percent that's going to happen, and you can revise your uh, or change your confidence at any time. Um, and it tracks all of your uh, predictions, and and then it it also gives you uh, a score of how while well you're doing. It says it's called the Briar score. And there, there's a book that came out um, based on the project as well. And uh, yeah, like two researchers looked at the people who did best on. On the project, I, I didn't. I didn't read the book. Uh, I think I, I read a little bit of it, and I, I read a little bit about the project, but I didn't read most of the book. Um. Yeah, but I think they're doing a similar thing to what you're in interested in, insofar as they're looking at you know how people make predictions and looking at how they reason when they come to the predictions. But but on that website, like the people that did best were generally like not not specialists. Uh, like they had some domain knowledge sometimes, but uh, they weren't uh, necessarily the people who knew most about. And they usually weren't the people who knew most about like foreign policy or whatever it was. Uh, people 
you know, these people made predictions in lots of different areas. And uh, yeah, it seemed like what they did was basically like a kind of an amplified version of like common sense reasoning. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I got from, hmm. from what I read. It wasn't, they didn't really set up these, like they almost, yeah, they basically didn't set up formal models almost at all. And if they did, they were very like back of the envelope. Um, mm-hmm. But they did do like the research and they kind of thought about how things uh, compared to other things. Interesting. Yeah, I think yeah. I'd actually, I don't think I've heard of the Good Judgment Project by name, but I have heard of this whole field of super forecasting. Yeah, and yeah, it's the super forecasting book. Yeah, I, I've heard of that book for sure. Yeah, it is an interesting result when you have those competitions and then the the winners like there isn't a winning strategy really. <laughs> There's like people do so such different things and many of them are not structured really. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I think yeah, our like our reasoning is complicated enough that we aren't introspective at all about or very much about how how we really come to our beliefs um you know things like our intuitions are they seem to come out of nowhere uh but we they're still useful uh you know so <laughs> i think oh. the best way to reason still makes use of kind of aspects of our intelligence that aren't perfectly intelligible to us right yeah it's like the whole problem of um people trying to get neural networks to explain their reasoning well (laughs) get humans to explain their reasoning first (laughs) yeah it's like maybe if we understood how we reason it would be a lot easier to make a machine that reasons but yeah it's an interesting hypothesis Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. Computers are kind of interesting how, how they're um, becoming similar uh, in that sense. Mm-hmm. This is kind of what sparked my, uh, or this is the problem that I wanted to solve, which is that, of course, you have intuitions about problems, right? And in the super forecasting scenario, yeah, they they use their uh, common sense intuitions and somehow they accumulate data in their mind and then output some sort of confidence based on uh, that data in some way that is hard to explain. But that is really what I was going for is like, I know that I'm going to end up after looking at all this data, uh, some uh, feeling, some judgment on this question. Like if you just ask me, uh, what are the chances that you think uh, this is true. Well, I'm not going to just say, well, it could be anything. I have like it's a huge confidence interval. It's more like, well, I know it's not 0%. I know it's not 100%. And I'm leaning towards this way. So maybe 70%. You put a number on it. And that represents something. But it's like, why did you think that? So what I wanted to do is come up with a way of tracing back and seeing, oh, yeah, well, I think that this is the truth because of this and i think this is the truth because of that 
etc., etc. So I'd have a, a trace that I can look back and see why I reasoned to that. And then the usefulness of that would be that um, if, say, I'm trying to convince someone else or I come across new evidence, well, I can go back and look exactly where to incorporate that or where to exhibit my reasoning in order to uh, justify how I ended up with the conclusion I had. Okay, that yeah, that's interesting. I, I didn't get that fully before. I, I think my idea would be, like, you would say your research is on the internet mostly anyways, so um, you'd have, you just keep track of, like, your browser history and the time that you go on the websites, and then, like, every five or ten or thirty minutes or, an, or every hour or whatever, you have this, like, pop-up come up on your computer where you put in uh your your prediction and so it tracks your prediction over time and then you can see like exactly what you looked at when you changed your prediction hmm. it, it wouldn't take into account like obviously you think of you think and then that changes your prediction too it's not just new information but it, you could yeah you could kind of see how new websites or pages changed your prediction uh-huh huh yeah that that would be an interesting thing to do. Or you could even make it slightly different. You could just have, after you've read through a web page, then you you fill in a little survey, which is like, how confident are you in these questions? And then the URL of the website. Yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, if it was after every website, it would be prohibitively, yeah. Hmm. It could be like, I guess like two questions wouldn't be too bad. Like two uh, click multiple choice questions, maybe. There is sort of uh, another problem, though, that I'm thinking of, which is that, yeah, if you sat down for an hour and did some research on a topic, uh, you might change your mind about something along that topic's lines. But... What if you're not really doing research intensively all at once? You're sort of just passively getting information. Like a friend shares an article about something on social media and you read that article and you're like, huh, yeah, that was an interesting article. And then that's it. It's gone. And the next time you're pulled about that question, like maybe you're having an argument with someone and you're like, oh yeah, I think that this is true. Well, whether or not that article made any difference in what you th were thinking is like totally random. It's like maybe you just <laughs> maybe you just forgot about that article, or maybe it didn't make much of an emotional impact, so you just forgot about it in terms of how it affected your confidence. So I have that. I think that personally, I've experienced that where I will read something. I'm like, yes, this convinced me of this thing, and then later on, it's like that never even happened because. Uh, I, for some reason, had a conviction to something else beforehand that I did remember. <laughs> yeah. I, and I then think it's really hard to go back and find the article that you supposedly changed your mind with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think we're very limited in, in our introspection. <laughs> yeah. And the, also, like with the idea of logging... Uh, how different things change how you think another thing that would make that less useful is that we're not like constantly reasoning and constantly like 
putting in all of the data and then spitting out like a prediction based on all, all of the data. I think we like reason at different points and then a lot of times we're like purely putting in more data and we're not really thinking about it. And then maybe at the end we think about it or, you know, but of course, you know, we're thinking about it all throughout as well, but to different degrees. It's just like a really messy process. Yeah, that is fair. Which is maybe unlike a computer, even a neural network, like at every point, it has like the optimal uh, state based on <laughs> the inputs, unlike people. Where it's like we basically like digest our information and we chew on it, and it's like a process that takes a long time. Yeah, that seems right to me. It would be very reductive to say that all that's happening is that you get some data, you take it into account, and then you spit out your new result. But I think that you can simplify it to that for some degree of significance. Like, some of the thinking you do on your own is going to influence your opinion, but a lot of the sorts of questions that I'm thinking about are more like uh, empirical questions. They're not a matter of reasoning. It's more just like, did you find good data? Did you judge it to be good data? And then does it support this hypothesis or this hypothesis? It doesn't really take a lot of creative thinking, right? Like the fire example? Uh, yeah, sure. That's a concrete example. Huh. I, I guess I mean well yeah, uh the balance is between like <laughs> the question being too trivial for it to be interesting, but then if it's too interesting, it could be it could not work within the framework. Hmm. Oh okay, I see what you're saying. Well here's like let's say the question is does rank control work? right? Some economic question that's very complicated and relies on a lot of empirical data. Well, there's tons of things that you could read about rent control, and I've read some things about rent control, not nearly enough to have a very educated opinion. And there's been lots of research on rent control. So what does an academic do who studies rent control uh, or macroeconomic things like this? Well, they probably uh, they do research and they keep track of that research somehow. But what if you could just enter it all into a database and have it all connected to each other? Seems like that would be helpful for doing basically the same thing. Wait, I don't I don't see how it would work practically. It would be like a, you know, what are those called? A cork board. Where you like put post-it notes on it, and then you can connect them with string. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean that would that would be useful. People do stuff like that, like mind maps, or sounds like, or like that. Yeah. 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 It's. But that's not. Uh, like the rigorously frame formal thing that you were originally talking about. Well, it almost is. All you would need to do is you have that mind map, and then you have to associate a number, which is like a confidence, to each uh, node and to each edge. 
It's like a thickness of edges and nodes. Yeah. I, it could so it's like marginal change to mind maps. Yeah, exactly. So as you add a new thing to the mind map, the rest of the mind map will update. Yeah. I, yeah, and I, I'm sure, like, yeah, it's like that's part of what goes into mind maps already. Maybe I don't really know if they're <laughs> what the what the um, specifics of mind maps look like. I mean, the point is like to, yeah, make apparent like the connections between different things. So I think part of that involves how they're related epistemically. Right. Uh, like yeah, one of the I, nodes I, is an opinion you have and then you have a bunch of things that have arrows pointing to it that are the reasons why you think that's true something like that I th yeah I think you should just do it as like at first as a personal project or document or something and then yeah if it's useful maybe it could be applied more generally but I think yeah, I think my feeling about it is that uh, people are, our tools are kind of, they're pretty good uh, as they are, which there aren't many tools, but I feel like, the, yeah, lots of things have been tried and uh, what works, I feel like it's just like thinking and then writing stuff down and like this very random process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good suggestion. I should do a serious attempt at doing this on my own before <laughs> I say anything definitive about its effect uh, efficacy. But uh, yeah, I think that was an interesting conversation. Uh, cool. I think that raises some things I hadn't really thought about as much about uh, the limits of our introspection that we may be able to incorporate the data well if we're trained and have experience as a super forecaster, but we may not be able to explain it or use a formal model to much effect to assist that process. Yeah, I think, oh, okay. Well, here's something. I, th I think a version of this or like a process that does help uh, improve your yourself epistemically is what we're doing or what you know a lot of people do with, through conversation i think that's at least a lot of a large part of how we use it is for is to like self-reflect on our thinking and, and then try to improve on it oh yeah yeah that's a <laughs> that's a good point so yeah we self-reflect by like making transparent how we're thinking and then uh we try to improve on it by it being exposed to the other person and to ourselves and then yeah criticizing it or adding to it right yeah yeah it's like uh it's like right it's another thing that's um like writing that going through the process of explaining it to someone and having a conversation about it is going to change your thinking and hopefully improve it if it's a good conversation just like how writing something out it can uh expose your thought process but in a different way but similar yeah. sort of externalized thinking yeah and the way we're doing it is 
pretty formalized too, relative <laughs> to just like um, what would happen without um, any intention being put into thinking. So there's, yeah, like there's like a regular schedule and like, you know, certain conventions we try to follow when we talk, <laughs> like, yeah, listening and then actually understanding what the other person is saying and then responding to that, stuff like that. Like those are all kind of formal techniques, but mm -hmm. th there's also like, you know, a large element that is not formal uh that's intuitive which yeah allows it to work i think if it was like too formal like uh like maybe like a debate format then that would also not work for our purposes right yeah that's a good point i think that it's also useful that we this isn't uh informal we intend to have certain topics and we go through the conversation and we have like a, an amount of time we're thinking of spending on it um but we definitely have experience talking in this way for like many hours so at this point it feels natural i don't have to put intention into having this sort of discourse right yeah i mean there's definitely an element of informality to it too <laughs> But I think it helps because it lets you like think of other things and um, it lets you exercise like your intuition as yeah instead of just being very narrowly constrained to a topic or a line of thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that seems right to me. I maybe this is. Uh, but um, I, I was reading a book recently that's kind of related, makes, made me, reminded me of that. Oh. That it's, it's a book by two, I think they're, it's like a neuroscientist and a philosopher. And it, it's about reasoning and their theory is that reasoning evolved uh, as a way for people to win conversations basically and so reasoning didn't evolve as a way to like know truth or obtain true knowledge or good knowledge uh or have your beliefs be accurate or anything like that it obtained you know purely as a way to win arguments against other people so it's like yeah the social thing mm. yeah i th and i I, th I think i li largely agree it's like it's, it's a lot of what they said like the examples they used was similar to what i was saying in like the thinking on one's own <laughs> conversation that's not on on our feed anymore oh but right the idea but uh, yeah i was arguing that people aren't good at thinking on their own like it really benefits people to talk with other people and that's how they people can develop their thoughts and that when you do think on your own i think what's happening is you're 
you're simulating a conversation basically within yourself. Uh, so yeah. Um, so sometimes the conversations are better at doing that than just thinking on your own. But, you know, of course you need like the right context for the conversation. <laughs> like if one person is way smarter than the other person, then there's a limited amount that the less smart person can help. Stuff like that. But yeah, I, I think that all goes along with their argument that reasoning isn't wasn't uh, developed uh, evolutionary for evolutionarily for the purpose of yeah, just like sitting in a room and then coming up with true truth. <laughs> and then this, they also. Oh, I like that. One of their examples, it's like a chapter, is Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Oh, really? And I like that because I bring that up too sometimes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they say like, you know, his manifesto was very articulate and very logical and very impressive uh, intellectually. But I think it's safe to say that he got his reasoning led him very astray. Like <laughs> somehow his environmental concerns led to like bombing a bunch of people and terrorizing America. But yeah, the, their belief is that this is, um, yeah, because his reasoning process was developed for the purpose of winning arguments. So like once he, settle on like a line of reasoning you can your reasoning can just spiral more and more uh yeah it's also like they say they say that it explains like conspiracy theorists and uh yeah all kinds of uh crazy beliefs it's like if reasoning yeah is really like truth guides you to truth then why do so many people reason themselves into like crazy beliefs and the answer is yeah reasoning isn't really truth guiding it's argument winning (laughs) hmm okay okay i think i see what's going on here so if if reasoning is primarily to serve winning arguments in a social way then the problem or then what their hypothesis is predicting is that these antisocial people end up having very bad reasoning because uh it's not in a social context uh i guess i guess maybe yeah that's that's another conclusion that you could come to uh that you're a better reasoner if you're exposed to other people's arguments as well as your own well not or just least, exposed to your other people's arguments but that you're making the arguments in a social way uh does wait what difference does that make isn't the difference that you get feedback oh well right so like if you're a guess, cult leader and you're always reasoning to your masses, then I think you could be equally led astray because you're not getting that feedback. 
Yeah, okay, maybe that's a better way of saying it than there's feedback. It's not just that you're listening to other people's arguments, and it's not just that you're giving your own arguments. It's that there's some sort of back and forth. Yeah, well, uh, other people's arguments, yeah, I mean, like, they're related to your argument. They make arguments in response to your argument. Okay, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, the, the I didn't read much of the book. I I intend to read more, but the evolutionary argument was like something about uh, groups of people where this um, argumentative process led to like acquiring good, better resources, survived as opposed to people that weren't able to uh, come to good conclusions as a group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard uh, arguments along those evolutionary lines as well that um, being this sort of I guess what would you even call it a good reasoner is uh, attractive in the same way that just any other sort of uh, like presentation for mating is attractive so it's not necessarily that it serves any good it's just that you can be other people at it <laughs> and show you're better so yeah. that's why it's social is because it doesn't have to do with the world it's just having to do with other people yeah oh uh, yeah i think yeah that's another good point about it yeah the theory. i don't know if that's true but that's another theory that's related yeah i, I think their theory implies that that okay reasoning yeah, that reasoning is a social thing, and it evolved in a social context. Um, yeah, and not not in this in the way we think of reasoning usually as like yeah something that you do with your mind in order to get to good conclusions. Right. We usually think of reasoning and truth as abstracted away from what other people think, but. In this case, it's saying that the process of reasoning itself is uh, not dependent, but it is a part of what people are thinking. Mm. Yeah, I think the whole like alignment idea and beginning with Descartes. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, Descartes, you know, project is like (laughs) he literally sits in an (laughs) empty room and thinks Uh, or his bed. Oh, it's, he's on his bed. He's on his. Oh. I think he's on his. No, I don't know. But he, uh, yeah. And then he reasons to truth. I, that's and then, yeah. I, I think they're the enlightenment tradition falling from that really prides reason as being uh, like a primary value. Yeah, reasoning um, for that's really the truth. Yeah, the life of the mind. Yeah, as Reed would say. <laughs> I, I think like my th- my view of reasoning kind of works with their view, but even though I think I'm like pretty okay with, I think reasoning on your own can lead you to good conclusions. It's that it's just that reasoning on your own is just simulating a conversation so if you're good at that then uh you you can get to good conclusions uh through 
reasoning on your own. So you can like simulate uh, the opposing arguments for your original argument and then iterate on that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. And suppose that you weren't good at doing that yourself, simulating other people's arguments. Well, if you could just talk to them, then you could make up for that. Yeah, if if you can, yeah. Not always possible, but... Right, right, yeah. But I guess that I'm thinking, like, so to identify the distinguishing factor here that you somehow have to account and go back and forth with other people's arguments, um, then simulating them yourself should have a similar sort of effect as having the arguments with other people, if you're good at simulating. Yeah. I think, yeah, of course, like, if you can find, like, a really good re- uh, arguer to represent a different, the opposing argument that's, like, way better, but uh, usually way better, <laughs> since they can really dedicate their whole mind and to that argument and they have a different psychology to you so that they can come up with more novel things but but you know uh not always possible and yeah my feeling is that i don't know i like i'll have i i'll have long conversations with people and with different sorts of people but like almost like we've talked about this, but like usually I don't feel I don't feel that I get gain very much uh, epistemic in terms of like my reasoning process. Like I might learn new things, and that definitely happens all the time. Like I'll get new information about what people believe or what they've experienced, but mm-hmm. just like this purely argumentative aspect of it, like if I make argument an argument and I have these premises and a conclusion and I'm looking for the flaw in that. I don't know that it's that that um, most conversation or most people will help with that. Um, yeah. Just because they're not interested or they don't think that way or for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, this is like what you were saying before, right? If a, if a really smart person and a really dumb person are having an argument, well, the it's not really going to get much out of it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just the person. <laughs> no, that, that's true. But the person who has, yeah, the smarter person in that conversation has just thought of everything that the other person could conceivably <laughs> say in response to his own argument. So, like, the other person makes an argument, and then the, you know, the original person is like, okay, I've thought of that argument, and I know like the responses to it and i know the responses to that response and the response to that response <laughs> that it's like you know it, there mm-hmm. has to be like some conditions in place for it to be a good conversation so when you're having these sorts of conversations uh is it so you're learning new things about their views and i don't know if you said it in particular but maybe you're learning new arguments that you weren't aware of but when you come out of it, you don't feel like you've gained anything because none of them were good arguments, maybe? Uh, yeah, well, I feel like I'm not any closer to the truth. Because, hmm. I guess, yeah, maybe I learned about some novel 
arguments that are bad and then I learn about <laughs> right. new arguments. But but I think the way usually it, it goes is if someone has thought a lot about a topic, then they've considered just all the arguments that people would come up with intuitively. So the other person wouldn't even come up with novel arguments usually. But yeah, if you're trying to figure out the truth about something, then you only want arguments that will help you get closer to the truth, not just any argument. Well, maybe if you're looking around you and every which way leads downward, then you've reached the peak. You've reached the truth. No, there, there's no. <laughs> or, yeah, or uh, you haven't been exposed to someone who, yeah, has yeah, good or reasoning. Or you just on, have poor choice topic. of conversation, yeah. like partners. Yeah, we've definitely talked about this before, where the correlation between intelligence and like and having accurate beliefs seems to be surprisingly low. Right. And yeah, this is this is explained by yeah the idea that intelligence can be used to argue or reason, and reasoning can be used to advance one line of reasoning. So. Mm -hmm. If you're smart, you can you can advance that one line of reasoning like crazy, like you know, in a way that other people aren't able to. Uh, and when but, you argue with but, them, <laughs> they can't uh, argue back against you, so you are more yeah. convinced of your argument. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's yeah. I guess that's another good point. Another thing that would make smart people <laughs> like maybe Ted Kaczynski. Uh, <laughs> go further and further away from the truth. Like, there isn't a way for them to have their beliefs checked or, yeah, kind of buffered by other people if other people aren't able to match their intellect. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've... Yeah. It's... It, the capital events recently reminded me of some of this, like just hearing about some of the things that people believed. It's really funny. Oh, oh, uh, like a bunch of what? <laughs> like a bunch of Q people were there. Oh, right. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, just like far right libertarian types were there. I love how the name is Q people. <laughs> it's not just you. Like that's the the name I hear for it. Oh it's really? Such a, it's such a ridiculous term. <laughs> yeah, it's I don't like, know what else to call them. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't even. No one even came up with anything like an interesting name. It's just the Q people. <laughs> yeah. Yes, there was a variety of uh, people. I don't know if they would be considered so intelligent that they never met anyone that could rebut their <laughs> beliefs. I don't know if you'd say that. <laughs> yeah, well, I I think maybe yeah, I I I think some of them are smart, but some of them, yeah, just everyone around them believes the same thing and so they spiral as a community. Mm -hmm. I think but I think libertarians like historically and now are this kind of very niche fringe community 
that has, you know, kind of extreme beliefs, and then they talk with other libertarians, so they just keep on going in that direction more and more. But I think in their case, a lot of it has contributed a lot to society. Like I, I like I, I don't, I think we maybe wouldn't have gone as far with like drug legalization and like gay marriage, lots of social, socially liberal issues, uh, stuff like that. If it weren't for like these extremists that came before. That does seem to be a trope that a libertarian type would remove themselves from society. They want to go live off on their own in the mountains or on a ranch or whatever, right? Yeah. So I can see what you're saying there, but I wonder how prevalent that is because my impression would be that libertarians typically are living with lots of non-libertarians. They might be living with other non-libertarians, but like for many decades, it's been a community that talks with each other and has this internal dialogue and like a literature. And they just came up with <laughs> more and more extreme beliefs based on it. I think and some of it is like way more fringe than like, you know, drug decriminalization, or drug legalization or, or gay marriage. It's like, you know, there's a lot of like basically anarchist literature. Um, libertarians as well so you get you get the whole variety but some of it um feeds back into society right eventually but yeah i just thought it's interesting because society seems to benefit from this kind of extreme reasoning like if people just if the only way people thought was just like in this reasonable way where (laughs) Uh, yeah, you come up, you come to like very solid conclusions based on you know. Then, I think we we just wouldn't we wouldn't have gone to where we are because it was always even like yeah, it was always just like only crazy people that believed certain things mm-hmm. that we now think are true that now like most people think are true. Yeah, I guess that uh, it's like mutation. <laughs> So most of the mutations are bad, but some of them are good, and then they stay around because they're good. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a lot of sympathy for good mutations right now. <laughs> <laughs> Everything should just stay the same. Well, I, there's a new COVID mutation. Oh right. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh god. Yeah, I have a feeling this is really bad news, to be honest, because, you know, all of a sudden, now all the vaccines don't work, right? Oh, it's, it seems like they work pretty well. Oh, do they? Yeah, yeah, the studies so far. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know that there was already some extensive studies on it. I'll have to look at that. Yeah, I don't think they're high confidence, or or that they're confident that it has the same effect, but it seems to have a pretty good effect. Hmm. Oh, okay. Well, that's uh, fortunate. Yeah. Mm. It was a new uh, strain, but not too new. We don't want mutations that are too much. (laughs) Yeah. In our libertarians and in our COVID. (laughs) 
All right. Well, this was an interesting tact. I didn't expect to go here. Yeah, um, yeah. Prediction to reasoning. Is there anything you want to say in conclusion or want to wrap up here? Uh, <laughs> what did we even start with? Uh, oh, yeah, we read the emails. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I think we we should we should uh, <laughs> just cut this part out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you don't want to say anything in conclusion? Is what I'm getting. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us this week. Happy New Year. And. <laughs>